Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to see you guys. And um, I just want to say, I said this first service. I didn't see anybody having this trouble second service, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I, I think sometimes people look at, look at our church and think, oh, like they've, they've got it all figured out. They probably don't really need me for anything. And uh, I want to say, definitely during first service, we had people like trying to find seats and they couldn't find seats. And one of the areas that we need help in is for people to, um, to be ushers in the church. And yes. I remember like back in the day, to be an usher meant like you, you pass around a bucket or whatever. And we don't do it. We don't even do that. But what it, what, what it means to us as a church is uh, just being somebody who's confident enough to, to walk and find places for someone to sit and help them get there. Because as a, as a new guest to the church, when, when you have to like find your own space and you, you aren't finding space. It's just super embarrassing and uncomfortable. And so I just want to invite you, if you don't know where you might be able to get involved, like that's a great place to help other people uh, find Jesus. So just throw that out there. Uh, I I don't think, I I think some of you were were not uh, fully convinced on that. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, You don't have to be. So I grew up in, uh, in the northern Yukon, so I, when I was 12 years old, I moved to Whitehorse, Yukon, which if you've watched those gold mining shows or anything like that, that's where I grew up. And when I hear people say things like, I was in North Dakota and it was like 40 below with a wind chill, like that's cold, but, but I grew up like 50 below, no wind chill. <laughs> <laughs> like just the air, just the air, 50, like where, where I grew up, um, not every year, but, but many times when I was growing up, there would be teenagers who would get drunk and freeze to death before they made it home. It's cold. That's all, that's cold. And um, what you learn early on when it's that cold, like when you're in high school, you learn that the, the ultimate prank you can pull on everyone is to start your vehicle and leave it running in that cold and then pull the fire alarm at school. So everybody else has to wait outside in the cold and you're in your car. The best prank in the world. <clears throat> I never pulled it. I was just always frustrated with the people whose cars were conveniently warm. But growing up in that environment, it, it felt very, um, very isolating. It, it felt very much uh, like... Like, you couldn't do a lot of things outside when it was that cold. I remember going snowboarding once. I did it all the time. But I remember one time it was about 35 below, and I, I didn't think that was too cold. But I remember coming home, and my big toe was, uh, it was black and puffy like a marshmallow that had been left in the fire too long. 
And now, even to this day, it's super sensitive to cold. It's just, it was just a cold place to grow up. And, and what made it worse was I didn't want to move to the Yukon when I was a kid. I was raised in the United States of America, the best country in the entire world. And, and, and like, we got our problems, but we're pretty good. And, and I, 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 was, I wasn't happy. I was told I'd, I'd, like, never be able to play baseball again, and I'd have to learn French. In fact, just this week, my youngest son called me a French-Canadian, and I took offense to that. <laughs> I was like, I am an Anglophone, thank you very much. <laughs> but, but it was just, it was just, uh, it was this weird deal. And for me, one of the hardest things was being in that cold where you couldn't get out and go play. Everything you had would break when you go outside. And French class at the same time. Two worst things in the world, French class and cold. And I remember just days sitting in that class because I had to, not because I wanted to, not because I wanted another language, but simply because you don't get to go to the next grade unless you speak French in Canada. And I I remember looking out the window of my classroom daydreaming, and I just have these, these memories of steam billowing out of the, the pipes at the t- on the roof of the school, just, just watching steam billow out from different parts of the building, not remembering, like, conjugating words, all that kind of stuff you're supposed to do. Just remember feeling trapped in the cold and feeling trapped in French class. I would dream, and I would have hopes for, for something different, but I felt trapped. And I, and I think often in life, we feel trapped. I, I, I think sometimes it may not just be environmental, like it's super cold, but, but there are things around us in our lives that are just things that make us feel trapped. Especially when we have dreams and hopes for what the future could look like, and that hasn't been realized in our life yet. It's, it's, it's difficult, but what makes those things more difficult is is when you're alone in those environments. And honestly, that would be the hardest part for me in that first year living in Canada, is I didn't want to be there. And because I didn't want to be there, I didn't want to know anybody. And because I didn't want to know anybody, I wanted to argue with everybody. And I, I, I got in a lot of trouble in, in school. I, I just didn't want to participate. I didn't want to stay. I somehow maybe wanted to punish my parents for moving me to a Canada country. Like, it was just... Has anybody, was anybody ever like that? Anybody ever just frustrated as a kid? That, that's where I was. So difficult seasons are hard, but difficult seasons are even harder when you're alone. Like, like it's, it's one thing to go through a, a hard season. It's another thing to go through a hard season alone. Like, it's, it's just not the same when, when you're walking through difficulty alone. It's not the same when you experience success, but you're alone. Like, pulling out party hats and kazoos for people to, like, blow, but there's nobody around. It's just not the same when you're alone. Whatever you believe about God today, whether you've been living for God for a long time, or maybe you're just checking it out and Maybe you like what you feel here, but you don't believe what we believe. Keep coming. You're more than welcome to, to disagree. No matter what you believe, I think all of us recognize that, that the road from where we want to be and where we are is often a lonely road. Whether you're experiencing successes or whether you're experiencing 
failures, often the road between where we want to be and where we are is a lonely road. And I think the real question today is, is when bad things happen, why do I often feel so alone? And, and the bad news is I don't have an answer. I don't have a solve to somehow fix that loneliness in our human condition. I, I don't know how to fix that thing that happens when bad things happen and we just feel like we're in it by ourselves. Don't know how to fix that because sometimes life just feels like a prison. And even when life feels like a prison, it is our choice whether we experience solitary confinement or not. It's our choice. So we've been in this collection of messages uh, about the life of a man named Joseph. They're from a book of the Bible that's called Genesis. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and the word means beginnings. This book of the Bible tells us sort of the, it tells us the the source of life, the purpose of the source of life, and it talks about uh, you know, where, where our struggles come from as human? Where our dysfunctions come from? Like, you know that, right? We're, we're all walking dysfunctions. It's not just everybody else. It's you too. Like, we're all, we're all in this together. And, and Genesis talks about that. And, and in describing that, Genesis focuses on the family. I think it's just great. that In Genesis, describing where dysfunction comes from, it focuses on a family. <laughs> it's like, ah, he's in the word today. And... The first, like 80% of, of the book of Genesis is about three, three members of one family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this last one, Jacob, has, has a bunch of sons, and his youngest son is named Joseph. And so from Genesis chapter 37 until chapter 50, it's talking about this, this guy named Joseph. I would actually encourage you to go get that book uh, that you stole from a hotel somewhere. Good job. Go get that. That book that you got for free at the church connect table. Like, go get your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, and read Genesis chapter 37 through 50. It'll take you 20 minutes. It's not going to take long, and you're going to know the story we're talking about. It's an incredible story of walking through struggle. And so this young man, Joseph, he had been given dreams by God when he was younger. He believed God had his his hand on his life, that God had great intentions for him. And Joseph began to uh, tell people around him about the dreams God had placed in his heart. And it just, it's so, so amazing how anytime you share dreams with somebody, there's always someone that's going to poo-poo on your nice dreams from God. Every time. And so his brothers become jealous of what, what God's doing in Joseph's heart. The Bible tells us that his brothers, uh, they actually throw him in a pit. The word for pit there is, is the word for a dry cistern. So not just a hole in the ground, but a hole that should have water in it that doesn't have water in it. They're leaving him there to die. And they end up deciding that rather than just waste this moment, they might as well make a profit. Like, thank the Lord for some good old entrepreneurs. And they sell this young man, Joseph, to, to slave traders, to human traffickers. 
They then take his clothing and they, they rip it and they cover it in blood and hand it to their dad and say, something must have happened to your prized son, which in effect made it that his dad wasn't looking for him. So not only was he sold into slavery, but no one was coming. And he gets sold off into slavery to a guy named Potiphar, who is the head of Pharaoh's guard. He's the captain of the guard. Like if there's one slave owner that you're never getting away from, it's Potiphar. And the Bible tells us, if you were here last week, you would remember this. The Bible says that that even though he was a slave under Potiphar, God was with him and he found success in everything he did. And God began to bless him even in a difficult situation. Did did you know that? Like, like God God doesn't just always bring you away from the hard situations. He'll often show you that he's with you in it, and he'll bring success through it. And this is what Joseph's experiencing. But what happens is as he grows in favor in that household, Potiphar makes him second in charge under Potiphar of the entire household. He had influence over the entire house. He ran the show. And Potiphar's wife looks and sees this young man, probably in his late teens, who is successful, who is confident, good-looking. And her husband's off busy working. And she begins to pursue him sexually. This is not some sort of shaming her. This is, this is what the story is. This is what happens. She begins to pursue him, and and he says, I can't do this. I can't do this because I'm not going to dishonor God, and I'm not going to dishonor your husband. Like, I'm not doing this. And she pursues him more. And finally, she comes to him, and she, she, like, insists, and he resists. And when he runs from her, she grabs the clothes he's wearing and rips them off and begins to say that he tried to rape me. That's in your Bible. If you thought the Bible was a boring, dull book, you should read it. You should read it. I think it's interesting that, um, that he's already experienced somebody rip his robe off once before. And it seems like Joseph's life just keeps happening over again, like, a, like Groundhog's Day. It just keeps happening. The same thing keeps happening in his life. He has his robe ripped from him, and he's got a finger pointed at him. But, but when, you read the, when you read the Bible, like, it's not a textbook. It, it doesn't say, like, for this situation, do this. For this situation, do this. It's a story. And so you've got to read the whole story to understand what it's trying to say. Like, for instance, in this story, it tells us, like, one of the, like, the best principle on how to avoid sexual temptation in our lives. Run away. Run away. You're losing your dignity one of two ways. You're losing your dignity to stay or you lose your dignity to run. So run. That's a word for somebody. Like You don't need to entertain that conversation. There's some relationships you need to run from. I know that's not popular in our culture. I get it. I'm just saying like there are certain things you must run from. And so... He runs, she points a finger at him, and this is where we pick up. It says this in Genesis chapter 39, verse 19. The Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. 
And so he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. I think all of us have experienced these moments in life that are just stifling where it seems like our dreams are beginning to happen, and suddenly, whether it's something that we have done or something that has happened to us, we get put back into the place of a prison, so to speak. Like sometimes uh, our decisions land us there, but often enough, it seems as though for something outside of our own uh, ability, like something that is not our fault, causes us to be isolated in a prison, so to speak. Like, like maybe for you, you were overlooked in the career that you'd been pursuing your entire life, trying to make a difference, but it seems like you're just always overlooked. Or for, for you, maybe it seems like someone else was chosen over you, like the, like the slacker who doesn't have the same work ethic as you, and yet they were chosen because they know somebody. And here's the deal with the prison. Prison is okay to visit. It's not pleasant to stay there. And the Bible says of Joseph that he remained there. That thing in his life that was that was that was holding him, that was trapping him, that was keeping him. He remained there. And most of us can work up the motivation to, to deal with a difficult moment. Like, like most of us can, can plug our nose and eat the peas. Like, like most of us can, can endure a little difficulty when we know that there's hope on the other side. Most of us, we can do it. Like we, we can start on a, on a Tuesday and end on a Thursday and be like, yes, we made it through a hard season. Like, God, I, I just, I, I'm ready for your work of deep character development, development in me. Like, make it a 36-hour intensive. Can I tell you, the character's never developed in 36 hours. It is a slow crockpot life of struggle in the sense that we're experiencing here. Like, like we, we don't mind the, the, the day trip of difficulty, but what happens when you find that you are stuck in a prison with no end in sight? Falsely accused. Like, well, we don't mind being unemployed for a week. Like, that's fine. We don't mind being discouraged for a day. We don't mind being without internet for an afternoon. But the longer it lasts, the lonelier it feels. And here's the truth is that life can feel like a prison. Life can feel like a prison. It says this in the next verse that, but the Lord was with Joseph. Wherever you are, whether you've been living for God for a long time or maybe you don't believe in him today, I just want to tell you what I take from this when I read this. I read that even in this unfortunate, difficult, discouraging season for Joseph, it reveals to us the faithfulness of God. Like, like I can look in the hardest of times when Joseph, when it seems like all hope is lost, it, it makes it so clear that God was with him when no one else saw him. When no one else knew he was even in the prison, God was with him. We tend to believe this lie that, that when good things are happening in our life, it's because God is with us. 
And then when bad things happen in our life, it's because somehow God has left us. And can I just tell you that when I read the story of Joseph, I can see that even in the prisons of life, God is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's not just a good time God, a friend in strength, but he's a friend in time of need. There's just this level of security that I have when, when I know that God is with me even in the pit. That God is with me even when I've been forgotten. God is with me even when the dreams of life haven't been fulfilled. The Bible says this in the Psalms, that he is close to the brokenhearted. That, that he saves those who are crushed in their spirit. The Bible says this, you are near, O God, and your commandments are truth. Like, the Lord is near to all who call on him. He's not some far-off God whose arms can't reach into the middle of your pit, in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your financial situation. He is with you. He's with you. Because life can feel like a prison. But Joseph is not alone. Life can be hard and difficult, but Joseph is truly not alone. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. There are seasons in life that feel like prisons. Seasons of change. Seasons of loss, seasons of difficulty. And when life closes in, it seems to prevent us from reaching whatever it is that God has placed in our hearts. But through all of that, through all of that pain that Joseph is walking through, he recognizes not only is God with me, but God has a faithful love. God's love never ends. It's the unending love of God that shows up even when I feel all alone, even when I feel stifled, even when I feel like I've been put in a box, even when it feels like my opportunities are lost. God's love is faithful. It says this in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Love. It's not dependent on you being successful. It's everlasting. It, it doesn't just start one day and stop the next day. It's not a, a good time, friend. No, he has an everlasting love for you. Can I just tell you that I've lived for God for a lot of years and I've had friends fail me. I've had church leaders fail me. I've had family fail me. I've had heroes fail me. But the love of God has never failed me. If you came today looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find it. But if you came today looking for the faithful love of God, I promise you'll find that. You'll find that. He says this, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. I love that. 
I love that. In the, in the middle of Joseph's most difficult time, God just says, hey, I'm with you. You're going to experience my love. And, and, and when, you, when you know that God is with you and, and when you know that you are loved by God, like you can go take a selfie with the warden. Like, you can walk into any room with confidence knowing that, that, that my, my, my self-esteem is not based on what you think of me. I, I'm already, God's with me and he loves me. Like, I can, I can walk boldly into any situation because I know that he's with me. It goes on and it says this, and before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. This is just like what happened when Joseph was a little boy and his dad told him, you're going to be responsible for your older brothers. This is just like what happened when he was a slave for Potiphar and he becomes the second in command of Potiphar's house. Now he's essentially second of command in the prison, though he's a prisoner. He says, you're over everything that happened in the prison, verse 23, and the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Listen to this phrase. You've heard it before. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Joseph didn't choose this. Joseph didn't cause this. But God was with him and gave him success in it, even though it wasn't his ultimate purpose. I remember when I was younger, I was a newlywed, and we were doing youth ministry in, in Fairbanks, Alaska. And, yeah, let's go. We got some Badger Road people here. That's great. And I remember I would put in, like, full-time hours with the church, but I, I wasn't, like, paid. I wasn't, like, paid full-time staff or nothing like that. I was doing what we call bivocational ministry. And I mean, I worked all day and ministered all night. And I got a job at this place called Wakata. It's a, um, it's a resort. Uh, it's not really a resort because it's in Alaska, but <laughs> people think it is, right? So, so I got a job there doing night security. And I, 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 would, I would show up and I would work from evening to morning every night. Just going through empty buildings and checking parking lots and shoveling snow and doing all the really sexy things that happen during the night shift of security at a resort in Alaska. And I remember I was just, I was just, I would do that and I would read while I was sitting in the van, like the little security van. I'd sit there and I'd read and, and I'd pray and I'd listen to, to stuff. And then during the day I would minister to kids and their families and it wasn't ideal. Honestly, I, I, in the moment, I resented it a little bit. But as I stayed faithful to it, they eventually put me over, like, all the night security guards, which was pretty amazing. Gave me some little authority to throw around at people. And then it went from there to, like, not just the night security guards. Now you're in charge of, like, the, the, all the people that use all the vehicles for the whole facility. And, and it, was a, it had, like, a couple hundred employees. So, like, I, I was running, like, a fleet of things. And, and I was like, man, this is, I'm getting, like, a promotion. I'm being recognized, seeing some, some success. Uh, then, then they ended up putting me over HR. And so I, I began, like, I, 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 doing administration, which if you've been around me, you know, that's not my strength. So I was responsible for bringing in like 175 Russian 
J-1 work permit students every summer. And then I would bring in a, a, about the same of Brazilians in the fall and then Thailanders in the spring. Like just, just bringing in all these people. It was my job to like make sure that they got their social security number, passed immigration, got on their flight, got, got their housing, got all of that taken. So it was like this, this level of responsibility. I felt like I was doing something. I was, it was amazing. And my boss recognized me. She saw me and like, you got, you got like a future in this company. Like it's going to be awesome. And the hard thing was it, 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 it looked nothing like what I wanted to do with my life. Like the opposite of what I wanted to do with my life. And in that season, I feel like God, there, were, there were things that I look back and think, man, God was really in that moment. One would be this, my, my boss, her name was Belinda. And she was really kind. She was a good boss. She loved my wife and I. She wasn't a believer. But things would happen, like difficult situations would happen in my life. Like my car would break down. And she'd, she'd like, are you going to be okay? And I'd be like, no, I've got a friend. I'm going to call my friend and we'll figure it out. And so I'd call a friend who was a mechanic in the church. And like we'd get together and, and we'd make it happen. Or something would happen at the house and I'd need somebody to help me. And, and they'd help me. Or like I was trying to go do something. And I'd just call somebody that I knew from the church community who would help me do that. And one day Belinda, she brings me in her office and she says, you know, we've talked about faith and stuff. And that stuff just hasn't convinced me. But what is really convincing me about Jesus is the way you guys love each other like the way you treat and embrace the people around you as though you're family like that I want that in my life and now she's a believer to this day she lives in Missouri she's doing great it's really cool but that entire time I felt even though I was experiencing some success I felt hollow because I was not reaching what I felt like God had planted in my heart. I felt like I was supposed to do this. But this was nowhere in sight. And I'm just telling you, if you'll stay faithful with the season you're in now, God, God will handle the details. Like God will get you where you need to go. Just stay faithful with where you are now. I think the real question that I had to wrestle with during that season was this, like, is this working at a resort thing? Is this just another prison in my life or, or is this the place that God has me for now? Right, like, it, like it, it sounded great. It might have looked great to the people around me. Like, oh, you're doing so well in life. Like, my parents were happy. I was getting a promotion. I wasn't relying on them for everything. Like, oh, that's great. But the truth is, to me, it felt like a prison. And my real question is, are you going to treat the situation as though it's a permanent prison forever? Or are you going to treat it like the place that God has you now? Because if it's the place God has you now, you can be faithful in it. Later, this is years later, Joseph is, is in prison, and we see this happen in chapter 40. It says, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. And Joseph saw them the next morning, and listen to this, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. 
And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. And interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. I love this about this young man, Joseph. He notices people around him. Like while he would be completely vindicated and he had every good reason to be bitter, to be resentful, to be suspicious, to be angry, to be to want to be distant from other people. I'm talking about a kid whose own brothers sold him into slavery, a kid whose dad hasn't come looking for him, a kid who was faithful at the job and the, the owner's wife pointed a finger at him and threw him in jail. Like if there's anyone on the planet that had a reason to just say, I don't want anything to do with strangers. I don't want anything to do with the person sitting next to me. Like you got your problems. I got my own problems. It is what it is. Like Joseph could have been that guy and it would have been justified. But the Bible tells us he sees these two men and he notices that they are upset. Life feels a lot less like a prison when we get to know our fellow inmates. He cares about them. Like, like he had every reason to not care about them. He had every reason to be angry towards them, to just, to just push away from all of society. And yet he, he notices them. Because sometimes on our way to our dreams, when life feels like a prison, we choose solitary confinement. We choose to isolate ourselves. We choose to push away from the people in our lives. We choose to put up walls of defense. We, we choose to keep our distance. We choose to withdraw from other people. We choose to shut out the very people that God is bringing into our lives. He is in prison but he notices them. And then he asks them to share their dreams. This is amazing. He asks them to share their dreams, knowing that his own dreams are only missed opportunities. He asks them to share their dreams, knowing that his own dreams are as far from the rest of his life as his father is. Knowing that his own dreams are shattered fragments of a life that has hit the rocks of reality. And he says, show me your dreams. We all have this temptation when our dreams haven't been met to withdraw from the dreams of others. And he leans in and he asks, what are the dreams that God has put in your heart? I'm just saying, like, what would happen if you did that? Instead of Always focusing on chasing your own dreams, whether it's educational, relational, financial. What would happen if you would notice somebody else and you would ask them, what dreams are unmet in your life? What, what would happen if you just simply paused with somebody and, and just said, like, what is the condition of your heart right now? Where are you at in this moment? 
Like, is your posture when you feel confined in a prison, is your posture, stay away from me, leave me alone, get out of my way, don't be too successful around me, like, like, I'll just worry about my own story, you take care of yours, or is your posture to lean in on someone who's upset and say, what are your dreams? Because life feels a lot less like a prison when we get to know our fellow inmates. Building relationships through conversations that are based on questions is a lost spiritual discipline in our American church. We're so focused on what church has the best programs, which leader is the most shiny, which facilities are the best. And I, and I think those things are great, and we want to have a nice church for you. But can I just tell you, don't get so lost in the program of church that you lose the spiritual discipline of caring for other people and asking questions about their lives. How, how are you doing? No, no, really. You look upset. What's going on? What can I do to help? What dreams has God put in your life that haven't been met yet? Like, like what would happen if we as a body stopped just trying to be like, like church, 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 and we said, no, we're going to actually engage in the life of the other people that are in prison with us, and we're going to just see what God might have for them? I think it's, it's neat that earlier in Joseph's story, as he's, he's looking for his brothers, they're, out, they're tending the sheep, and he goes out looking for them, and he finds, he runs into just a random unnamed man, and the man says, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. So many of us, we have coworkers, we have neighbors, we have strangers on a freeway somewhere, but we don't have brothers, and we don't have sisters, people that we can honestly take the mask off with and really share what's going on deep inside, to, to share the wounds and the pains, the, the unmet dreams, the worries, the concerns. And the Christian church is experiencing just as much anxiety and depression and frustration as the rest of the world. And we think, well, why aren't we any different? We're not different because we're not living different. Because we're called to live in relationship with each other. But our only relationship with each other is I'm going to just pass by you on a Sunday morning while we're getting coffee. I'm just saying, like, it is important when we, when we do things like groups or, we, or somebody invites you or you invite somebody else. It's important. It's godly. It's holy. It's the moment that things really happen. And this is especially true of men. Men are very good at casual relationships. But we rarely put in the hard work of intentional friendships where we can share true dreams and true defeats. And we take pride in it. I don't need anybody. 
I, I, I went on a fishing trip with some friends just recently, and before I went, I, was like, I told my wife, I said, I don't even think I'm going to go. I don't need any of them. I don't need you. But I know I'm not the only dude in the room that feels that way. We've got to have people in our lives that we can look at them and say, tell me your dreams. You look upset. What's, we've got to have people that see the nuance in our face and they, they recognize that you're down. That they see the glimmers gone and actually care about it and will ask us a bold question and say, what's going on in your marriage? What's going on in your life? We've got to have people like that in our lives if we want to be healthy. <laughs> Often... I'm just a self-made man. I'm self-made man. Can I just be honest? Like, like when I am the well from which I am made, that well is very shallow. We are called as believers in Jesus to build relationships with God, with people, and to make a difference in the world around us. I was talking to a guy just recently who's very successful in his field. And I just felt prompted by the Spirit to ask him this. We're sitting, having pizza, and I just, I just asked him, I said, hey, what unrealized dreams has God placed in your heart? This was before I did this message. And like what began to unravel out of this guy who is at the pinnacle of success in his world, he, he just starts unraveling all this stuff, this just hopes and dreams and things he wished were changed and different aspirations and dreams. And I'm just telling you, it got past the surface level mask of life so fast. I've sat with people and sat with men and they've, they've opened up and said, Pastor, I just feel like I am so complacent in my marriage. I feel like I've just turned a switch emotionally and I don't know how to turn it back on. I've talked to people that are saying like that they're, they're wrestling with deep, painful issues of life. Like, why did God take my loved one from me? And can I just tell you that when you're asking those kind of questions, you don't want to be alone. You need brothers in your life. Like when you're struggling in your marriage, you don't need to be alone. You need brothers and sisters in your life that care and can share the burden because none of us have to walk through the prison of life alone the problem is we've been burdened the problem is we've been burned the problem is we've been let down the problem is our expectations weren't met and we're not sure we ever want to take a risk on another friendship again like why would I even want to get back in that game called life or what like the problem is it just there's always something going on can I just tell you I've got a few friends in my life that don't let me stay surface level like, how's the weather? Oh, crazy Idaho weather. You never know. I've got, I've got certain friends in my life who they have, like, in invitation into my life to, to punch deep, to go deep, to say, hey, why did you say that? Like, why did you not respond to, like, well, what's going on in your life? Well, what's going on? Like, you've got to have people that care about what your dreams are and what you're upset about. You've got to have that. You've got to have people that are like family, that will take off the mask. So there's three things that I see here in the story of Joseph as I, as I start to land this plane. First is this. 
that you've got to get around some people. You've got to get around some people. When we're experiencing difficulty or success, our tendency is to isolate. And you've got to get around some people. He could have stayed in solitary confinement. He could have just said things are hard. He could have just tried to minimize the pain by not building another relationship. Like, can I just tell you, like, when I get in the echo chamber of my own voice and I start listening to myself, I don't have very productive things to tell myself. I've got to have people in my life that speak into my world and people I can speak into their world. So you've got to get around some people. This means proximity. This means shoulder to shoulder. Not sitting behind a keyboard texting your, your thoughts at somebody. Not, not just blasting thoughts, but like, but like actually meeting real human beings that aren't buying something from you and you're not buying something from them, you're just sharing a meal together, you're just having a conversation together, throwing a Frisbee together, like just people. Like as a church, we've got small groups that they actually launched this week. You can join a small group, you can get involved in those, and I think it's a great way to meet people. But even if you don't, you are in a room full of people that all want to go in the same direction in life as you. So don't just head out the door as soon as the last song is sung. Go find somebody and say, hey, are you getting lunch? Because we're getting lunch. Like, let's go get lunch together because we all have to eat. Yeah, but pastor, I don't have the money to go eat out. Yeah, you don't have to go eat out. You can go make a bologna sandwich and invite somebody over. Just go spend some time with other. Like what I'm saying is like what would happen this summer if, if you just changed your, your paradigm? And for this summer, you said, this summer, I'm, when I go fire up the boat, I'm going to call somebody and get somebody else on the boat. This summer, when I go golfing and I'm just going to be by myself, I'm going to just like send it out a message and see how many people want to come with me. I'm just going to find some people just to be around other people. It's a spiritual discipline. The next is this, is that you've got to notice those people around you. There are two types of people. People who notice other people and people who demand to be noticed. And if you want to be the kind of person like Joseph that God consistently elevates, it's not going to happen because you demand to be noticed. It will happen because you care about the dreams and hurts of others. Number three is you've got to ask them questions. You've got to ask them some questions. And I know this is simple, and it's not fancy, and you're like, preacher, I really wish you would have had like a 14-point message on how amazing I could be. <laughs> it may be simple, but we live in a culture that is more used to sharing opinions and making statements than we are asking questions. We are so good at hiding behind a keyboard and firing off hurtful rants. And we're so terrible about simply asking somebody, why do you look upset? I just saw you smiling. Why are you smiling? What are, what are the dreams in your life? How can, I, how can I help you right now? What can I do 
to help. Like, what would happen if we would just ask simple questions? We're in the middle of this message, the series on Joseph, and some of you are just waiting for me to, like, give the detail of the dreams. Like, you're like, you didn't even tell the first dreams, and now you're not telling these dreams. Like, oh, my, you're missing the best part. That's because I really want you to read your Bible. Genesis chapter 37 to 50. Read it, and you'll know the dreams. Pray about it, and you'll understand the dreams. But what I find so fascinating, even though I'm not going to tell you how the dreams turn out or what they were, what I find so fascinating is this, is that because of the dreams of these men, Joseph is able to meet somebody that sets him up as essentially the prime minister or the president of the entire nation of Egypt. Again, for a fourth time in his life, second in command. And God uses him to spare not only Egypt, but the entire region, including his own family that abandoned him. What's amazing is that his entire destiny hinged on one question. Why do you look so worried? If Joseph had never asked that question, why do you look so worried? He would have never been promoted into the places God called him. I'm just asking you, would you get around some people this summer? Would you notice people this summer? Would you ask questions to people this summer? Questions like, how can I help? What are the dreams that are unrealized in your life? Why do you look so down? Because when Joseph leaned in on the dreams of someone else, God leaned in on the dreams of Joseph. Would you stand with me all across the room? Church, hear me now. Ultimately, your life will become a product not of your mistakes and not of your successes. Ultimately, your life will become a product of the relationships you cultivate. So this summer, let's try it. A little old-fashioned one-on-one. A little let's just get dinner together. A little, let's just go to the lake together. Let's get the kids on a date together, like on a play date together. Let's just go have some fun together. Like what would happen if we just started there? I'm telling you, you would grow in your walk with God more than you ever thought was possible by simply leaning into relationships with other human beings. Would you just... um, I just want to respond in prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Let your fresh wind flow in this room. Fill our lives and our hearts and our minds.
come against every insecurity that would keep someone from stepping out and simply asking a question of concern towards someone else. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would would just place people in our paths and that we wouldn't be so focused on our own loneliness and isolation that we don't recognize who you've placed in our paths. God, that we would be people consumed not with our own dreams, but the dreams of other people. God, that we would be people not so blinded by our own pain that we can't see the pain in others' eyes. But God, I pray we would be an army of people spreading the goodness of God throughout this valley by just simply asking questions, by just simply being present, by simply caring. I pray that you would heal those who are wounded in their spirit as they take their eyes off of their wounds. In Jesus' name. I just, when we were in worship before the service, I just felt like we're going to experience an open heaven in this next season as a church. And I don't mean as a church, I mean as Families, I believe there's, there's an open heaven season. And don't limit it by being so preoccupied with your own isolation that you can't see that just a simple question changes the course of history. I, I wonder in this room if there's anybody for you, you just be honest. Pastor, I'm not right with God. And I need to be right with Jesus. And I feel him tugging at me right now to, to be close to him. If that's you and you're ready to be made right with God, would you put your hand up so I can see you? Yeah, I see hands. I see some hands. Listen, those are bold. Listen, here's what we do. It's simple. Simple. No hoops to jump through. He's already done everything that needs to be done to make you right with him. All you do is respond, and here's how you do it. We repent, and we believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, or say that don't please God. And we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we do this, his blood cleanses us from all sin, and he puts us in a relationship with himself. So for those of you that raised your hands, or maybe some of you want to jump in on this, in your own words, pray something like this. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that don't please you. Would you forgive me? I'm turning away from those things right now. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me that he was buried and three days later he rose again so right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone say these words with me Jesus be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live come on church family there's some people that just made the best decision of their life. Let's respond in worship today. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church. 
to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world. 